my name is Liz Gray and I'm rector here and I'm really glad to welcome you to our worship service here this evening. We're beginning a series on the five one thing verses that you find in the Bible. And tonight we're looking at that verse which came up on, in Psalm 47 that you heard read so beautifully a few minutes ago. If you want to follow along, you could find that psalm, the slightly different version, the ESV version on page 460 of your pew Bibles. What I'd like you to do is in the, in the bins at the end of your pews, you'll actually find some string. And I'd like, or yarn, I'd like you um, each to just get a piece of yarn. I've got three pieces just because I'm, I don't know, I want it to be really visible from up here. So uh, get yourself a piece of yarn. And then um, look at your lap or somewhere and imagine a little, find a little mark or get a pencil or something. And what this is going to do is I want you to represent uh, your spiritual journey to God. So if the little dot is God, you kind of go, okay, this is how I'm going towards God. So just do something with a string on your lap, just about, okay, this is me, this is God, this is how it's going to look. I wonder how yours is going to look. Maybe it's kind of chaos. Maybe there's just a little bundle over here, and you kind of go, this is my spiritual life. Oh, and God, uh, he's over here somewhere. Um, or maybe you've got a straight line. Okay, God will be my pen. Here's God. Here's me. Woo! It's me heading straight to God all the time. That's my spiritual journey. Me, God. All great. Or maybe, maybe you've got a circle. God's right in the middle. You keep him at a good distance. You've always kind of got him out of the corner of your eye. You're aware that he's there. You kind of you, you measure your life, but keep, a, keep an eye on him all the time. Or maybe um, one of the ones which I was thinking I'm kind of fond of is, is, is maybe it's like, the, um, like a planet. What's it called? Um, like a path. Orbit, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Planet's orbit. You know, where it goes out a bit, and then it comes a bit closer to God, and then, oh, life carries on, and you get a bit further away. I mean, the linear appeal one has a bit of an appeal, doesn't it? But as I was reading the psalm and thinking about it this week, I was thinking David is kind of almost, it's a bit like he's doing the string exercise, in that he starts off, and he starts off, and it's, it's really like this. It's just David is here, God is there. He starts off, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's a confidence kind of coming out of every pore of David as he begins the psalm. You can almost picture him saying it. And, and isn't this how we should live our lives? Just me confidently heading towards God at all times. Because after all, how can we be afraid when we know God is our stronghold? This is deep truth. But we also know that even if we go like this at some point, then sometimes stuff happens. And we begin to maybe just kind of bend away a little bit or, or head off into a slight tangent. And if you think about David, it's hardly surprising that, that was, he was like that. Because after all, he was the commander of an army. And uh, I've always kind of been struck by that verse in 2 Samuel when it talks in the spring, in the time when kings go out to war. Now, if you know your Bible well, you know that that actually led to, there was a story around that with David when he definitely didn't pay attention to God. But David's story is one of a warrior. He was somebody who went to war. He shed blood. You know, when you read Saul killed thousands and David killed his hundreds of thousands, do you ever think about the fact that this was visceral, hand-to-hand -hand combat? 
that this was with swords and weapons, that he really killed people. This was a man with a lot of blood on his hands as he led his armies into battle. And if his livelihood depended on him protecting his country, relied on war, I bet there were times when he felt really, really afraid. Because not only was he pursuing people, but even as he's pursuing, he is being pursued. He knew what it was like to have that adrenaline rush, that fear as he worked to outwit the enemy. He knew that there would be no mercy if he was caught by the enemy. So as he is sitting somewhere writing this poem, and when he says, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, he kind of meant it. He meant that there were evil men who were going to come and attack him, and he meant, knew that there were people who were going to come and try and kill him. He knew what it was like to be on the battlefield, to feel besieged in days of trouble, days of running and hiding. So I pictured him beginning to have the words of this poem, this hymn coming to his mind, maybe when he was curled up in a cave one night, as he was feeling himself the, the exhaustion and letting the adrenaline drain from his body. And he began, begins with confidence, and then he thinks about where he's just been, and he thinks about the violence he's been engaged in. And he's conscious of these people. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack him. But he keeps looping back. He keeps on being aware that God is there because he says they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Each terror resulting in him responding with confidence. And the heart of it seems to be for me in verse 4. This one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And he carries on, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Now, there's a lovely juxtaposition there, because he's talking about being hidden in the tabernacle, and you might think, okay, he's going to be fine when he goes to church. It's all going to be safe and cozy. But then this image of him being set on a rock, I think David is recognizing that the place for worship isn't just like Sundays for us. It's wherever he is. It's on the battlefield. There's a time when on the battlefield he will feel that God is putting him on a rock. His head will be exalted above my, the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David is very conscious of the fact that he is in a battle. And he's very conscious of the fact that there's this juxtaposition of being in the temple and being on a rock, both being places of worship. And so again, he finds himself looking straight at God. But then when, when circumstances around him and he looks at them again, it's like his string goes a little bit floppy because then he begins to say, don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. There's something in David which keeps coming back to this bit of self-doubt, this bit of what is God going to do? Don't reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. But then his confidence picks up again. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And he asks God to teach him, to lead him in a straight path, to not turn him over to the desire of his foes. 
even though false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. And so finally, David concludes, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David faces all the chaos and uncertainty of his life with this kind of resolution. He recognizes that war is a part of his life. It's not going to go away. He can't sidestep it. He knows that his being a king at that time in that place and defending his realm is going to result in violence and hardship, which will dog his steps. He faces the possibility and later experiences it in his life when his, even his family might reject him. False witnesses constantly deriding and undermining him. He knows that there are expert assassins pursuing him on a daily basis. But he also knows there's one thing that's going to ground him. The thing that's going to ground him is worship. The thing that's going to ground him is looking for beauty. One of the things I love about the stories of David we read in the Bible is that we hear about, even when he was a boy, looking after his sheep, the fact that he used to sing. And then you see him, as he grows up a little bit, he goes off to be in a, in a king's palace, and he learns how to sing to calm the rages of the king. Singing and worshiping God has always been a part of his life. He's learned how to look up at the night sky and just marvel to worship the Creator. Last week, uh, I had, was on a plane and I watched the movie Harriet. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It's the story of Harriet Tubman. I didn't know that much about it before I watched the movie, and I've read quite a bit this week about it to see how accurate the movie was. And it turns out the movie, apparently, is, is pretty accurate. It's quite an extraordinary story. And she was a slave, an African-American slave who escaped, but then kept going back and rescuing people, even though it knew that things would go very, very badly wrong for her if she was caught. She knew that there were men and women around her who would devour her flesh. She knew that war would break out around her. She knew that her brothers and sisters would doubt her. She knew that she faced the day of trouble. What's fascinating in the movie is how they capture the way that even as she was in very dangerous circumstances, quite often as she was taking slaves out um, of captivity and getting them up to Philly, that, that she would stop. She would pray. She would listen for the word of the Lord. She would look for him to direct her paths, just as David in the psalm looked for the Lord to direct his path. She was also always prepared. She wasn't naive. She didn't think that God was just going to vanish her problems just like this. She didn't think that just, she just had to say, please stop, the, stop slavery, and it would happen. She knew that God was going to lead her through it. She knew that she had to be prepared as she ventured out. She knew that if she was captured, she would have a very gruesome end. Ending of slavery did not occur peacefully or quietly. It was a raging battle where people died in small and large encounters. And Harriet's story is one African-American woman's story, just as we read the story of David, one Jewish man also fighting for God's people. Harriet knew she couldn't rest while there was slavery, while people suffered. She couldn't choose to be comfortable. 
And each of us has to take note of our context, our cultural context, our societal context, the places where we've come from. I have to recognize myself as a South African, the part that my larger family played in apartheid in South Africa. Simon has to recognize that he's British and slave traders. So many of them came from Britain. You know, you guys have got to recognize your American history. All of us, in whatever way we face our history and our story and our context. So what do we do? carry this awareness that the wars we face are today often more subtle than the wars that Harriet and David faced. Maybe they were wars at work, or wars in our neighborhood, or wars in our workplace. Psychological wars in our own minds, emotional wars, political wars. We all carry responsibility in these situations to how, know how we're going to engage, how we're going to keep our focus on God. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do this week is to take your bit of string home in your pocket. And when life is challenging this week, I want you to touch it and untangle it and imagine it taut between you and God. And whether you're sitting in a meeting or engaging with people, to just think, what does it look like to be like David in this point, what did he do? He looked for beauty. He looked for beauty in that moment because he knew that beauty reflected part of God's character. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, we can always see beauty somewhere, even if it just involves looking at our own hand. There's always beauty to see. Come back to it and say, okay, God, I'm going to worship you in this moment. This war is raging around me or in me, but I'm going to look for your beauty, because then you will direct me. I had the lovely opportunity to go uh, skiing the week before last, and there was a fun moment. I was up right on the top of a mountain, and I'd been in a hut getting hot chocolate or something, and, and the light was just, it was just mid to, just past mid-afternoon, and I came out, and there were two snowboarders who walked out in front of me. Now, no insults to any snowboarders here. But if you've ever been skiing and have you ever encountered snowboarders, quite often they tend to be, tend to be young men in their kind of like teens and early 20s. And they have two objectives in, in their lives. It's to get down the mountain as fast as they can and as dangerously as they can. <laughs> um, and they, you know, quite often have these guys have these sort of logos all over them and, and they kind of swaggered out uh, to the edge. And I was standing just behind them. And then there was a moment of silence. And then one of them said to the other, Whoa, that's beautiful. And then there was silence again. And then they went off to go and you know, run over some skiers. But it was a most beautiful moment, a gorgeous moment of complete worship. I don't know if they knew that they were worshiping God at that moment, but they were worshiping God because they were looking for beauty in their situation. And so I want to encourage you, when life is hard, don't screw up your yarn into a knotty ball and throw it away. Remember that we can find beauty. And it's as we worship that we will find direction. So this Lent, week by week, we're going to encourage you with these one things. This week, my one thing for you is, will you seek God in his temple? Perhaps when you're sitting perched on a little rock in the middle of a battle. Will you look for beauty when you're surrounded by darkness? Will you intentionally seek God's face 
and ask him to seek you, to not forsake you, to lead you, to show you paths. When things are hard, pick up your string and begin to untangle it and pull it tight and give, give thanks. And maybe with David you can say, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And as David finishes, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. We're going to take our usual couple of minutes of silence now, and maybe you could take a moment to think about a place where you're experiencing some level of warfare. Maybe you can think about how you will find beauty in it if you encounter that story this week. Take a moment to wait on the Lord. <laughs> 